From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Monday, July 1st. It's July, Danny. Can you believe it? I can. It's been flying by the year. So, I mean, we're already you know, almost toward the midpoint of uh, quote-unquote summer. So, I mean, it's, it's flying by. It is flying by. This is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Um, Danny Fleck is with us in his weekly spot. Our condolences, both Danny and I, go out to the family of Tyler Skaggs, the uh, 27-year-old Angels pitcher who was uh, who passed away, and according to the police department, was found unconscious um, in his hotel room uh, this morning. No foul play suspected. Danny and I uh, both extend our condolences uh, to the Angels and to the whole baseball family and to his family. Um, anything else you want to add to that? Seriously, uh, that would be wonderful if we could figure out um, how that all would um, happen. Um, let's stay on baseball since since this is the topic we're opening with. Um, 17-13, not a Yankee Red Sox score I ever um, thought would happen. I saw the first inning and then nothing else, and then I saw that score on my phone, and I'm like, holy shit, this thing just exploded. You apparently watched more of it than I did. What the heck happened? So I watched um, the first inning. Uh, I had my fantasy baseball pitchers on Saturday were both Rick Porcello and Tanaka. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> so it was nice to see that combined, they gave up 12 earned runs, pitched one inning, and uh, basically shit themselves. Yes. Now, uh, you know, the games this weekend, you know, on a largest scale were terrible. Um, granted, lots of offense, lots of exciting plays, you know, from that perspective, but like, I don't know what they did to the balls, what it was in that stadium, but whatever it was, those games were unbearable. Um, almost close to nine hours of TV total, um, hour-long innings, bullpens depleted, no one could get an out, balls flying all over the place. Just uh, terrible, terrible games from that perspective. But, you know, if you like watching offense, uh, good game to watch. But I don't know if that's what baseball was intending, or maybe it was. Uh, I don't know. But um, it, was, it was hard to watch. It was too long. It was, it was too much. And even for Yankees-Red Sox, there was no, like, real The games are pretty much over. Right away. I mean, I think on Sunday it was a 4-2 game. You know, the first inning the Red Sox put up four and the Yankees kind of clawed back a little bit. But uh, both those games were, were, were pretty much over and decisive, uh, you know, come the seventh inning. So it was uh, tough to watch. Um, I think there are two takeaways, though, that even with the, with 
you know, playing on turf and the shorter center field and, and all that stuff that, that we can make that I think are definitive. Number one, this Yankee team is resilient. They get down and they don't care. Sunday showed that down two and then they put up an eight spot. Uh, I think it was an eight spot in that seventh inning. Secondly, um, and, and, and the sweep the Red Sox is obviously huge uh, just in, in general and to go overseas and, 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 get, and get a split is ideal. Number two, if you're a Red Sox fan in Boston and, and you live up there, you hear this every day on radio, you've got to be begging management to acquire somebody in the bullpen because this this just keeps happening over and over and over again. It's crazy. Yeah, from a Yankees perspective, you, there are a couple of takeaways for me. And one is that that lineup is can do damage. Again, I I'm putting an asterisk on these games just because I don't know if it was if it was played here in New York or in Boston if it would be any uh, different. You know, would we have seen those types of offensive outputs? I, I don't know. So I'm just going to put a little asterisk there on that. But my main takeaways for the Yankees were one positive is that that lineup is deep. It's hitting DJ LeMahieu has been a godsend for that team. Yep. Um, you know they've they've been able to you know get players important players key days off and not miss a beat and and that's great. It's good to have that depth, that length in your lineup to be able to uh, you know know that every team every lineup you're throwing out there every single day has a chance to win you a ball game, which is all you can ask for. Negative takeaway is. Was the pitching really that bad this weekend? You know, with Tanaka, is this a blip on the radar? Is that bullpen um, going to be an issue moving forward? Uh, can they sustain uh, what they did the first half of the season with that pitching? So I don't know if it opens, if it you know, brings up more questions and answers on, on that end for them. Uh, you know, takeaway from the Red Sox is you scored 13 runs in one game and that's still not enough. Uh, I don't know what direction they're going in what they evaluated, but we've seen this with the Red Sox teams lately, is that after a great season, you know, 2013, 2018, is that when they have a roster, they're so afraid to maybe mess it up or spend more money, and they let pieces go that helped them win a championship. So that bullpen was trash last year, and I will go down on the record saying it was trash, and they have pretty much the same people back. Now, I texted you the other day. I, they just had a horseshoe up their ass last year. Every, everything that they did, everything that, every move that Cora made last year worked for them. These guys may have had their best years last year, and that's it. And that's all you, all you can like, uh, you know, write it down as. You know, career years for guys like Matt Barnes, Frazier, Keith Embry, all those guys. Um, and then take away Kimbrell and Joe Kelly, which were two big pieces for them in that bullpen, and now you're left with some guys that are throwing innings that they don't necessarily uh, want to throw or are capable of throwing. Another thing that's been an issue for them is they don't have a closer. But when you, we've talked about it before. Like you need to have defined roles in these baseball game, in these baseball teams because these guys are mental head cases. They, they get thrown out of whack just a little bit, and their production flips. And, and that one one outline that I can say for that is, if you put a closer in a non-save situation, what usually happens? He shits himself. He, he gives up five runs, or he blows the lead, or whatever it might be. So I, I just think for the Red Sox, it's one, if you're going to go get a pitcher, you got to go get a closer. you got to get someone that's going to close games for you. 
or you just gotta chalk it up to like, you know what, this is what we have. When Evaldi gets back, maybe he slides into that closing, that closer role, and then you hope that everything else falls into place because they have the offense and a decent enough rotation to stay in contention. But I think when I checked last night, they're 11 games behind the Yankees for the division. Um, so you know, knock on wood, you know, chances are they aren't catching the Yankees there. And I think there were two or three games behind the wild card spot. And you're going to be fighting Tampa Bay for that spot, too. So you got to go out and get somebody that helps just solidify that bullpen and puts people into their roles. Yeah, um, it's they've got to do something because that second wild card spot's going to be what they're going to be going after. And as you said, as, as weird as this is, they are only two games out, 44 and 40. Right now the Rays and the Rangers um, have that, and they're just two games back. So they're very much in this, um, yet... They've got to make some changes to be able to do it. Any observations about London baseball in general that came out of last weekend? The, the Cubs cards are going over there next year. Um, another classic baseball rivalry. Everybody from media to players to managers said that they loved it over there. They loved the treatment over there. Obviously, we'll see now in the back end what any kind of jet lag issues or hangover issues there are. Um, Especially with 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 the Mets being pumped up to face the Yankees this week, and hopefully, you know, <laughs> have some kind of a bullpen that can sustain itself. But just any observations about baseball in London? I I thought you know everything was fine. I I don't know why they had turf. Um, that was a big question mark to me. Uh, they- Here's wait, hold on a second. Before you give the answer on that, I can I I I can possibly explain this. Um, there is a EPL team that plays in that stadium. Uh, you would know this. I, I, I forget offhand who it is. Um, what, Pam? But is that is that they didn't want to ruin the grass? For the correct. For they the- were not allowed to drill one thing into the ground because that pitch stayed there. So unlike, for example, the Arizona Cardinals stadium where they wheel out turf and wheel back in turf, and you can have a national championship game, wheel out that turf and bring back in the Cardinals field like nothing ever happened just days later um, if the Cardinals are in the playoffs. MLB was not allowed to drill one thing into that pitch. So they just laid over the field, the turf field for the baseball. That appears to be what they did, yes. Or, or appears to be this, the, the best solution they could come up with that would lead to a playable playing surface while not damaging West Ham United's field. Oh uh, yeah, that was my only like issue I think was like why was it turf and not grass considering that it's a grass field to begin with. But other than that, I mean the dimensions were a little short, three eighty five to center. We talked about this the other day, it's a little short, but I don't those those walls could have been four twenty and those balls would have been flying out anyway. So uh other than that, it was a regular, you know, it was a baseball game, but it was just a really long baseball games and uh, really hard to watch. So, from like a viewing perspective, it was hard for me to stay in tune to the game for longer than like an hour or so uh, before I lost interest. And once I saw the Yankees were comfortably leading in, in both games, it was uh, just one of those things where I just turn off the TV and just check every couple couple of minutes, every half hour, to see if they they help the lead. Um. By the way, just, uh, and, and, and this is from a Washington Post article's quote, um, uh, the, uh, but still the logistics were a bit of a challenge. Officials couldn't dig up or alter West Ham United as a uh, natural grass pitch, so they had to set down an artificial turf 
field and pour clay and dirt over that uh, turf and they couldn't dig um, any holes for anchoring purposes so things had to be balanced and weighted perfectly. To fit the field in the stadium, the outfield dimensions were a little short compared to typical MLB parks through 330 to left and right and just 385 to, to dead center. So that's your, that's that. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, as long as the MLB got what they wanted out of it, you know, we're going to continue to see it. So, I mean, the only way that, to see if what happened this weekend was an anomaly to continue to get data from it and, and go from there. So we'll see what happens next year when they go over there. Talking to Danny Flecka here on Teeing It Up. All right, let's transition now to... Um, baseball, so to, to, to the NBA, which just had a wild day yesterday. Um, and uh, let's start here. As a Knicks fan, I'm crushed because <laughs> uh, we didn't get anybody. Um, Boston fans. You don't like, uh, you don't like uh, Todd Gibson and Julius Randle and whoever else they had. Bobby Portis, yeah. Reggie Bullock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not KD, it's not Kyrie, it's not Kawhi. Um, all right, in, in all seriousness for a second here, um, I, I think Boston's interesting in that they did a couple things. Uh, number one, everybody knew Kyrie was leaving. He left. They filled that hole with, with Kemba Walker, um, and then they also let Al Horford go, and he goes to Philly. So... Let's just start with the Celtics' perspective here. Um, the Celtics are obviously going to need, I would think, another body here at some point. But just Kyrie leaving, I think everybody saw the writing on the wall. Uh, what's been the vibe about Kemba replacing him? You know, I think with Kemba, you're getting a similar type player. I don't want to say you're going to get the same production or the same flair or coolness or whatever it is. But I think you get somebody that can fill in for the point guard position. He's going to get you 20 to 23 points a game. From all reports that he's a good locker room presence, good leader. Got to remember, this guy hasn't played on a real team or, like, winning team his entire career. I think he's made the playoffs once. Right, it's been since uh, UConn. Yeah, so he hasn't been able to shine in that, in that sense. So people don't really know that much about him. Um, you know, I think you get somebody that fits into the style that the Celtics want to play a little bit more. Um, he is a big pick-and-roll guy, so they're going to have to find out, you know, who's that, who's that body they're going to play pick-and-roll with him. Because, you know, Al Horford would have been a great compliment in that situation. You know, one of the best big, uh, you know, stretch big that, that's out there. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how they, they do that. But I think, you know, what you get with Kemba is, is a lot of what Kyrie wasn't bringing to the table. And that was stability. Uh, he's not going to be, I don't think, like a, a clickbait-type person. He's not going to fall for that. He's not going to give you absurd answers. He's not going to be so vague in, in what he's saying or doing or whatever it may be. So uh, I think that's a big appeal to a lot of Celtics fans and maybe the Celtics in general, too. Uh, knowing that they have a guy that they can count on, they're not going to have to, like, you know, handhold or babysit every single day because you never know what he's going to say or do or if he's unhappy. So I think they they get a little bit of what their identity is back as far as, like, a scrappy, gritty team that's going to play hard and play within the system. So I think that's a lot of what appeals to Emma Walker to Celtics fans. Um, but I, I think for me, you know, Kyrie's, 
a great player. He's younger. He has a higher ceiling than Kemba does. But maybe it's addition by subtraction where you get somebody that just collectively fits better into that team and overall the team gets raised and you get better play out of guys like Tatum and Brown and, and Hayward, which you definitely will need now given that Kyrie isn't there. Um, and the player who the Celtics have added to fill out Horford's world, uh, uh, role is Ennis Cantor. So obviously um, they feel like they have somebody who can maybe be that guy that can hit the outside shot, do stuff down low, and maybe be the pick-and-roll guy. Yeah, Cantor's a, a great add by them. He's not Al Horford, but you know he's one of the best offensive rebounding big men in the league. He's tough. He's going to be in there. Um, he's going to fight. And, and you know he's kind of gotten... You know, an unfair shake the last couple of years. You know, he was the Knicks, the Thunder. He played well with Portland. Um, you know, you sent me something that, again, six minutes to decide what he was doing with Portland before, you know, he, he did anything, which I think is a little absurd. But I think that's a great a great fill by them. You know, he's going to, I think, help them out a lot. He's, again, not Al Horford, but he's a little bit younger, and he's going to give you a little bit more, I think, you know, from a longevity standpoint. So there's something did a lot to not necessarily go backwards. How much, how far forward they went is yet to be determined, but I, I think what, given their situation a week and a half ago with Horford, you know, uh, declining his option, Kyrie pretty much with two feet out the door, they did a good job of at least standing pat, and then hopefully you get the leaps that you need to from uh, Tatum and Brown and Hayward to maybe bring you up to that top three discussion. The, um, the reason why, so this is the NS Cantor quote that he told ESPN's Mark Spears in a text. I was considering signing uh, with the Blazers, but they only gave me, uh, but they gave me only six minutes to make a decision. I felt pressure and didn't feel comfortable, so I told him I need to think about it. Um, to uh, uh, so I can call my brother, so he can ask my family, because I can't call my family directly. But they kept pushing, uh, so I told them no. And that's capital N-O in, in uh, with an exclamation point. As many people know, Ennis Cantor um, has some issues involving his family and threats from the Turkish government um, of being arrested. So obviously he needs to go to a place. Um, he, uh, he said in January that he can't communicate with his family directly because of his um, uh, political stances, which have seen him estranged from Germany. Apparently, the reason why Portland wanted to move, uh, wanted a decision, is that they needed to do that complicated four-year deal, um, sorry, four-team deal, uh, to get Hassan Whiteside and and the Jimmy Butler sign and trade and a whole bunch of other things. So that's that's why they only gave him six minutes, but um, it does seem ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, he's not he's not landing in a bad spot in Boston, so it's not like he's uh, he's losing out on anything. I think it's a great situation for him. He's going to start. Uh, hopefully, he can give them a lot of what Horford gave them, and you know we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. You know, come this time next year after he's had a season under his belt. You and I are both Jersey guys and Net fans, uh, especially those who stuck through the bad days in Jersey, the bad days in Brooklyn, the infamous Boston trade, or one happy camper. Kyrie and KD said Brooklyn were coming. What an amazing day for the Nets, and now you put them with Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie and everybody they have on that roster, and they become one of the instant contenders to win the Eastern Conference. It's insane. 
Yeah, I mean, the Nets have done a really good job the last couple of years of rebranding themselves and rebuilding themselves after that terrible, terrible trade that they made for Paul Pierce, KD, and Jason Terry. Um, they've been able to uh, develop some really good players that you just mentioned, you know, Levert and Dinwiddie. Uh, they saw Jared Allen, who is a young big who can run the floor. He can get you a double-double every single night. Um, you know, they overachieved last year a lot in part because D'Angelo Russell had, had a phenomenal year. They have some great pieces there that are going to be going along with Kyrie and KD. You know, my one concern is the same thing that you've seen when these players go to these types of teams is, you know, how do these players now reassess where they fit within that team and what their role is going to be? You know, automatically Kyrie is the alpha for now. What happens when KD comes back? How does a, a, a young coach like Kenny Axton handle these personalities where in the last three or four years he was able to get a lot of buy-in from his players, especially because they were young and they knew that they had to uh, be coached up and developed to get to the point where they could compete. That's my concern with these types of sides and these types of teams is if you don't have a Phil Jackson on that bench, you don't have a veteran guy besides you know, KD and Kyrie in there that can kind of, you know, handle a locker room or handle expectations or handle bad times and get the team back on track. So it's going to be very interesting what kind of a soap opera develops in Brooklyn come January or February when KD is probably going to be ready to come back. And, you know, where Brooklyn is at that time. Are they going to be in, in, uh, in first place? Are they going to be in the middle of the pack trying to fight their way back up? So, um, Brooklyn's going to be an interesting situation next year. I don't necessarily think they're going to win anything next year just because I think it's going to be a lot of feeling out. Um, you know, we saw that happen with the Miami Heat the first year that they got the big three. You know, it took them a, a year or two to get situated before they won their first NBA title. So it's going to be interesting to see in February and, and how those pieces are, are fitting in and, and where they're going. Yes, definitely, and, and, and that's also one of the things that you always look for with these teams is can, can everybody be unselfish, uh, can everybody be okay, and then ultimately in the end, what kind of KD do you get when he comes back, which leads me to my next question, which is if you were KD, do you agree with this decision? I, I mean, for me, a lot of it is perspective, you know, what can, what. KD's long-term plan for himself. You know, he, he, he's played with some of the best players in the NBA. He is one of the best players in the NBA, hands down. But every decision he's made has always seemed to be based off of his public perception or how he wants to be viewed or how he doesn't want to be viewed. And I just think that he's going to catch a lot of flack if they don't win. And that's unfortunate because he's a, a phenomenal player. Um, but, you know, I just think at the end, you know, he didn't get along with Russell. That's why he he, he left OKC. Um, towards the end of his time in Golden State, he wasn't apparently getting along with them. Um, I, I just don't know how him and Kyrie are going to shake out. Kyrie is a, a unique individual to see the least. Um, so, does Kevin Durant learn from his, uh, his mistakes the last couple of uh, trips he's made to different teams? 
or are we going to see in three years uh, a similar situation play out where both him and Kyrie are just sick of each other and they want to go someplace else? So I think for KD, it was either what, Golden State, the Clippers, or... The Knicks or Brooklyn. And the Knicks, I don't think the Knicks were ever a realistic destination. Once they didn't get the number one pick, I don't think it was ever going to happen. Also, once they didn't offer the Max. And how... How in the world can you let that leak out that you weren't going to offer the max? All you're going to do is just inflame Nick fans even more. What are you thinking by leaking that? I don't know what the Knicks have been doing the last 10, 15 <laughs> years. So someone probably within that organization is just like, you know what, well, I'm not going to be blamed here for not getting KD. Like, it's not my fault I didn't want to get him. You know, it's somebody else's fault. They didn't want to offer the max, blah, blah, blah. That's, I think, how, how these things come out is, you know, fans are, are chirping and you're going to be like, yeah, well, you know, it wasn't me. It was Dolan. He was the one that didn't want to offer the Mac. So I don't know what the Knicks are doing. I don't know when the Knicks will be relevant again. And it's, you know, unfortunate in the sense that is one, you know, to, to have a basketball game at and they haven't had a meaningful game there in, I don't know, first 15 years whenever you know Carmelo first got there so um, I feel for the Knicks fan but some Knicks fans but sometimes it's really funny to see how James Dolan continues to show that he's the worst owner of professional sports yeah um, it's it's a weird wacky day um, alright uh, as we continue to roll on in, in free agency um, that happened Yesterday, we're still waiting on, on Kawhi Leonard. We don't have anything there. Jimmy Butler is headed to Miami um, in that complicated four-year deal. Uh, that, I thought, was an interesting move by, 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 by the Heat. Other things that stuck out to me, Clay Thompson stays um, with the Warriors. I, I just thought that. I, I thought that was obvious. Um, he said he wants to play next to Steph for the rest of his career. So... If you're going to have that attitude, you're going to stick there forever. Um, number two, um, the Nets also got also got DeAndre um, Jordan, which is a nice pickup for them. Um, uh, where was I? I lost my place on this page. Just hold on one second. I had it there for a second. Yes, what the Pelicans have done. So now you have this core. You get Zion Williamson. You add J.J. Redick. You add Trevor Ariza. Uh, that for me stuck out uh, from yesterday, um, and the other thing that stood out from yesterday is Tobias Harris, Mike Scott stay with Philly, Al Horford goes to Philly, um, and as you said, Philly needs some shooting, and apparently they're banking on Ben Simmons improving that shooting because they just shipped out one of their best shooters in that deal, or, or in first the JJ Redick trade, and then. Uh, in the in the Jimmy Butler trade, so uh, I gave you a lot there, Danny. You can chew on whatever you want. Yeah, and I think I'm going to go off some things that you didn't mention. Some, you know, one team I I really liked what one team did yesterday, and that was the Pacers. Um, yes. So they got they point. got uh, Malcolm Brogdon, which I thought was a great great piece. You know, unfortunately, Darren Collison retired, um, and. They were left without a point guard, so I really like what they did there. You know, I think that's a great fit for them. He's tough, and once Victor Aladipo comes back, 
Um, you know, they're going to have a, a nice young core there, and they, they played well this year. They were coached well this year. They're going to be a feisty team in the Eastern Conference, so it's going to be really interesting how they come together. Um, Don't forget about Jeremy Lamb, too, who they also acquired yesterday. Yeah, they, they, they made some good under-the-radar moves that not a lot of people are going to talk about, one, because it's Indiana, and two, because they're not big-name guys. But I really liked what they did. Um, Phoenix, I thought, made a nice move by picking up Ricky Rubio. They needed somebody that was going to be a veteran on that team that you know could do some of the things that a lot of their guys don't do well, which is you know defend and handle the ball and distribute. They didn't have really a point guard to go with that young team, so that was a nice move by them. Um, Philadelphia, I don't know what they're doing. Um, Al Horford, again, we talked about him a little bit already, but. I don't see how Al Horford makes them a better team. Maybe, you know, he's insurance for Joel and B because he gets hurt all the time. But, you know, their thing is shooting, and they needed depth, and they didn't do any of that. You lose Jimmy Butler, and you keep Tobias Harris. I consider that a watch. Tobias Harris was already on the team. Al Horford doesn't really bring a different skill set to the table that, that you need. Um, especially not like that deep outside shooting, which is what they, they need. Ben Simmons, uh, uh, you know, relying on Ben Simmons. He hasn't taken a three-pointer in two years. What's he going to start checking up? 200 this year? So I don't really like what Philadelphia did. I think they're the one team in the Eastern Conference that, you know, was in the top five last year that actually regressed a little bit. They, I think it became a little bit more unathletic where a lot of the teams are becoming smaller and faster and using, you know, wing and uh, D, you know, D, defensive guys, wing guys, three guys, you know, they don't have really any of those guys. So uh, I thought Philadelphia made some weird moves last night. Portland gets Damian Lillard, keeps Rodney Hood, gets Hassan Whiteside in this trade. There's a lot of moving pieces involving Portland, but I, I think that's an interesting um, situation for them. Uh, the Lakers basically are in uh, standby mode right now. Um, I don't think they did anything of note yesterday um, as they as they wait for the Kawhi Leonard. The Clippers wait for the Kawhi Leonard sweepstakes to end, as does, um, as does Toronto. And I think that's where this next goes. You've got three teams, Lakers, Clippers, Raptors, that basically did nothing on day one and are just waiting for this guy to make his choice. You can throw the Mavericks in there, too, because they're waiting on, like, Danny Green and some other players, yeah. too, to defend, you know. So I think at the end what we're going to see in the NBA is you're still going to have the, the top teams. You're going to have the Lakers, the Warriors, uh, depending on where Kawhi goes, you know, whatever team. Hold on a second. On. You really think um, the Warriors with just Steph and and uh, just Steph and, and uh, Drake? You really think that... This Warrior team with just Stefan and Draymond plus uh, D'Angelo Russell can be a contender in, 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 in the West next year, considering what Denver did, and Denver adds another piece, um, and, and, and what they did yesterday. Utah is still there, signing, Bog, signing Bogdanovich. I can never pronounce that name to save my life. Plus Ed Davis, um, and the Jazz did something that I'm just missing here on a pay. I'm uh, sorry, the... Uh, Sorry, Denver did, did did something that I'm just missing here on this page of free agent deals. There were there were a lot of deals, and I'm missing one of them. Um, uh, uh, Jamal Murray getting that extension for uh, 170. 
you think even with all those teams on the rise, plus plus the Lakers rising, plus Portland keeping Dame adding these Dame adding these pieces, that the Warriors will still be there with basically Steph, Draymond, and 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 D'Lo, and knowing that you have to have load management for Steph and Draymond. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. I, I really don't see much of an issue. Interesting. I think that they're going to be what we think that they are. They're going to be a great great team, fun to watch. And when the time comes, uh, I think we're going to see them do what they have to do. And, and don't underestimate how much stress that team has been under the last five years, especially after KD came. They might feel galvanized by this opportunity to show that, you know what, we had one of the best players in the world, we were able to benefit from that, but we're still a pretty darn good team. And I, I wouldn't be surprised that this offseason, this season in general, galvanizes that Warriors team and rejuvenates players like, like Steph Curry and uh, Draymond to come out there and play the type of basketball they were playing beforehand. So I, I don't see any issue with Golden State. I think they'll be one or two seed, you know, come April, and they're gonna. I think the the road will still go through them. They're still gonna be one of the most dangerous teams in the league. It's, it's a bold prediction. And here's the thing about being a high seed. Steve Kerr told Rachel Nichols after uh, they lost Game Six in the NBA Finals, "We need a year off because they've played basically a full extra season of basketball during this run through all these playoff appearances." This is why so many people um, think that LeBron missing was was great for the NBA and and uh, sorry great for LeBron long term not great for the NBA but great for LeBron and for Laker fans that you didn't make the playoffs you were not a seven seed that had to play four or five games and maybe get you know two rounds in or three rounds or, or you know one or two rounds in um, he got a whole time off to just do nothing. And that's what I find interesting about this is that uh, it do the Warriors view this as some people called it on ESPN yesterday a gap year or are they contenders again and can they put enough pieces together to make this work? That to me is fascinating. Yeah, and you're right. They play a lot of basketball and it's definitely taking its toll on them. But I, I just I can see them being still what we have expected them to be. They're going to be in a new stadium. They're going to be, you know, looking to prove people wrong. You know, Steph Curry didn't have his greatest year. D'Angelo Russell's a nice piece for them. I actually really like that signing for them. Um, he's somebody who, who's come of age and has been able to become one of the, you know, better guards in this league. So, you know, it's going to be hard, depending on where Kawhi goes. If Kawhi goes to the Lakers, then it's going to be really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, but Kawhi stays in Toronto, or if he goes to the Clippers, I think you're going to see a very balanced league next year with some really, really good teams. Uh, but once the playoffs come, it doesn't really matter. I think you're going to have the, the top teams make it through, and don't count out Golden State just because uh, of what's happened. I do expect them to come back and be rejuvenized and go after it and, and prove people wrong and show that you know they have – They've always been as good as they, they have been, and it wasn't just Durant. I, I hear you totally on that. Anything else you want to mention on any topic, Danny? No, I think all the fun has stopped. I think the next thing we've got is what? Uh, the All-Star game, and then we got training camp. So, Oh, and then you know, big game tomorrow for the U.S. Women's National Team. So You are forgetting uh, the Open Championship, golf's fourth major. Oh, yeah, well, I guess I, I forgot. <laughs> 
You're going to miss it. You're going to be away during it. How do you feel about this? I feel, I feel fine. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't even know what was happening. But think about it. You're going to be... It, you're you're gonna be in the same continent that the event's happening in. Yeah. Right. You will feel the energy as you walk around the country. I'm not gonna give away obviously where you're going, but you will feel the energy as you go on your uh, trip. We'll see. That'll be that'll be my first question. <laughs> when when you come back on the air. Did you feel the energy of the Open Championship while overseas? Danny Flecka, thank you, as always, for uh, coming on Teeing It Up. No problem, man. Have a good night. You got it.